Okay, welcome to the podcast, everybody. You are unfortunately stuck with me again. It's uh, been a trying evening, to say the least. We uh, This time, at least, we made sure that we were going to test it before we went ahead and recorded an hour's worth of material just to find out that it was all screwed up again. Good thing we did, because it was all screwed up. For some reason, I don't know what happened. It's just technology, man. Technology is just one of those things where we just can't live without it now, but it makes us all nuts. So, while we work on a solution for that, you are stuck with my enchanting voice, which is not particularly enchanting whatsoever. I'll try to get some variation, though, so it's not monotone. I, you know, I, I have a that nice droning voice, but... We're working to get AJ in here so that if uh, we ever need a monologue, he can he can mix it up a little bit too. So more on that to come. As for beverages, I have not had anything particularly exciting, to be honest with you. I had a bunch of uh, leftovers, basically. So we are big five-cent wine sellers from uh, Sailors. None of those work. Uh, we participate in the five-cent wine sale very heavily at BevMo because it's a fantastic deal. So all I've got is duplicates of wines, and then I've got remaining six packs of beer. So there's nothing exciting on that front. From the coffee perspective, though, I did brew our new Ugandan coffee and served it at market. It was delicious, actually. I'm still dialing it in a little bit, both on roast and and, uh, strength, because there's none of that acidity. I think I might be able to make it a little bit stronger and it not be off-putting to people it was uh it's got a nice chocolate base kind of a brown spice to it i really really liked it i tried something new i bought a bunch of different milks so we were going dairy free at the market uh mainly that's a logistical thing not a health thing or a you know concern for cows really don't get me wrong i love cows they're delicious but we got uh, actually, it was just me. I flew solo this weekend. AJ was at a family reunion. We they do. Uh, we have some family from California. They all meet up at Laughlin once a year. So he was out there celebrating with uh, the fam, and I was happy for that. So I was at market, and I got the normal vanilla almond milk. That's a staple. We replaced our uh, whole milk with uh, vanilla oat milk. Oat milk has a pretty similar texture, and when you get the sugar and coffee in there, you almost can't even tell that it's not regular milk in my opinion uh it's really good it's surprising my wife gave me the stink eye when i told her that she should go with oat milk and then after i pumped it full of bourbon caramel and cold brew she was on board so it was good but uh the interesting one is that i got coconut milk and coconut milk is weird it is almost like uh, almost like half and half. It's really, really thick. And the coffee doesn't... you you got to stir the coffee into it. It doesn't mix perfectly. Like, it, it's, it almost, like, separates. It's really weird. But it's also kind of good. Like, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It, it was good. So, I might be the only one that drinks it. Nobody ordered it. But I thought it was good. So, maybe I'll keep it in there. And just maybe we can get a few converts uh, to come through who like coconut. We'll... We'll see. I don't know, but it, it goes well with that brown spice in the in the coffee, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll change Arizona one cup at a time, huh? Um, so that's what I got for 
uh, beverages. And and again, you know, please let us know. Send us your recommendations. We'd love to try some stuff. Uh, I think I've got a couple on a. Uh, on Instagram for an IPA that they wanted me to try. You know, we're not super fancy rich, so your your wine recommendations are um, very much appreciated, but know that if it's beyond that $20 range, I'm probably not going to go for it. Uh, I did get some from uh, the uncle out in New York, some regions to try for white wine, so we might, might try a few of those again. So we'll see how it goes. But please let us know. Reach out to us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, comment on the website, whatever it is, just throw us your recommendations. For the topic, since it's just me, I'm going to reach way back, I don't know, a month maybe, which really isn't that far back, to National Women's Day. I posted on the gram my thoughts on National Women's Day. So I'm not against National Women's Day, but if we're going to celebrate National Women's Day, I feel like we should also celebrate National Men's Day because that's what equality looks like. But in my office, uh, they were not looking at it that way, right? There was lots of the, we got to break down barriers. We got to do all this stuff and be like, yeah, I okay. I, un- I understand the efforts, but that's really not really what the day's about. But that's that's cool too. But anyway, I, I threw a post up there and wrote a little bit about how I wasn't really celebrating National Women's Day, not because I have anything against women. And I think all of the women in my life, not all of them, but I don't even remember them all, to be honest with you, but I would say the ones in my immediate circle here nowadays would probably understand that I don't have a whole lot of issues around that whole thing. Like, I I don't know. I just don't. My family's got strong women. We've always had strong women, been around them all my life. I grew up with one. She hung out with us, with the boys. I'm just used to it. It doesn't bother me. So, But I posted that I I didn't like the way that it was being celebrated because it didn't seem like we were celebrating the good. Like if women were good, we were not celebrating that good. What we were looking for is a way to oppress the oppressor, right? To take it back, to get revenge almost. It felt really... I don't know, icky, to be honest with you. It didn't really feel feel good. It wasn't like a fun celebration. My wife did tell me that she has a coworker from Eastern Europe, I believe. And she said it's very big over there, but it's not uh it's not a political feminist thing. It's really seemed to be like a celebration that was just good. Everybody was it was I don't know, it didn't seem to be so charged. It was my understanding. Maybe it is, but um her experience was that it was just something that they just celebrated women, they celebrated men, and they celebrated stuff. So I was like, yeah, I can get behind that. But that kind of pushed me a little bit to say, okay, if I'm going to say these things, if I'm going to believe these things, I should have something that supports it, backs it up. Like I should I should dig into this a little bit and not just be, hey, these are my thoughts, care about them because they're my thoughts. And a while back, AJ had said something about, you know, the oppressor becoming the oppressed or the, the oppressed becoming the oppressor. And I was like, oh, that's a really good line. And so I Googled that and I found where it was from, or at least where I believe it's from, or the very top search results on Google. So I'm trusting that Google knew what AJ was talking about and therefore told me where to look. Yeah. Blind faith in Google. What I wanted to do is kind of go through a, a few points. I'm not even going to scratch the surface of this paper. It is by Paolo Freire? I'm going to say Paolo Freire. 
and it's I only got the first chapter. I'm only gonna hit some topics from like the first four, like three pieces from the first five pages. So this is not an exhaustive review. I'm just kind of trying to sum up my some of my thoughts, and they are uh, fairly well summed up in the first few pages. As it goes on through, it starts to get a little bit more um, practical. So it starts out very theoretical, and then moves into the practical. And I really liked it because towards the end of the paper, I was like, this is management techniques, right? For business owners, for uh, for managers, like this is how you should lead people. So as it got more practical, it was still very useful, very good information, but started to drill down. And I kind of want to stay at the super high level right now, speaking in generalizations. So the paper is called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It was published in 1968. Uh, Paulo was a oh he was in brazil and he was a marxist and a humanist and all of the things that are very um not american to be honest with you so a lot of these ideas are very different but what he was interacting with that americans don't really deal with anymore uh, is colonization Uh, so there were colonies I, i think he was dealing or viewing mostly the British coming in and taking over or or in possession of colonies. And, you know, I think if we've all read on some of these places where, you know, especially in Africa still, there's a lot of places where there is some very serious oppression. Uh, I remember reading in, I don't know, early high school, freshman year or something like that. I think it's called Kafer Boy, Kiefer Boy can't remember but it's it's about a young young boy in i don't remember what part of africa but it's the story is pretty rough to get through and uh and they were oppressed and and they were taken advantage of both both physically and uh, mentally so it's very real and it's but it's interesting Uh, this is really the extreme of power dynamics so when you're talking about the theory you know you use the most extreme example that's why when you hear all these people talk about stuff Everybody jumps right to Hitler, right? Well, Hitler, like, yeah, I, we all know, and we're all tired of it, and we all get mad and offended when anybody mentions it. But what that is is it's the most extreme example that we can go to because that draws the picture with the most clarity. If we were to just use general everyday examples, it wouldn't have the impact. It wouldn't have um, that stark contrast to who we currently are. It would be so close that we would be able to justify it. So we take it to the extreme so we don't justify it. Um, so that's kind of the world that he's reviewing and he's looking at. And so the first point that I kind of wanted to dig into is that line that I said where the oppressed become the oppressor. And I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of reading tonight for you. Uh, you're welcome. Actually, I apologize now because... I am not a very good reader, and even my daughters don't particularly like it when I read to them. So, here you go. Also, because he's a scholar, he's got to use all the big words. So, if I struggle, I'm it's because I'm not smart. First point, it reads, But almost always, during the initial stage of the struggle, the oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors, or, quote, sub-oppressors. The very structure of their thought has been conditioned by the contradictions of the concrete, existential situation by which they were shaped. Their ideal is to be men, but for them, to be men is to be oppressors. This is their model of humanity. And I thought that was super interesting because 
it really went into that power dynamics, right? So there are oppressors. There are people who are viewing humans as things they're they're trying to control they're trying to gather they're using as much as they can because that is an extension of their power and you can't use a human unless you make it a thing uh, you, you have to dehumanize so that you can use them and so there's this oppressor that's operating that way and the oppressed who are being used and being abused are looking at that and that's all they know That's what they know. That's what they think humanity is. So there is this split in their brain. It's this way or that way. There's no middle ground, really. It's I'm either in this sucky position getting crapped on all the time, or I'm in this good position where I'm crapping on people all the time. I would rather be the crapper than the crapped on. And so that's that becomes their pursuit. Rather than be in their current situation, they immediately jump to that counter example which is not them. So they see themselves and they want to not be themselves. So they become what is opposite of them. And that's the oppressor. I think that this is a very interesting point because I think it is very, it's very applicable to today, right? I mean, if we look at our political climate right now, everything everyone is doing, it's this same thing, right? They are defining themselves by not being the other, or by attacking the other, or, I mean, I'm not going to jump on any bandwagons here, but I mean, we we set up uh, Obamacare, and then the very first thing we did when we got a new president is repeal everything, and then everything that's Trump set up, whoever is voted in next, the very first thing that they're going to do is repeal everything that he did. It's just a vicious cycle. All they're doing is that they're viewing themselves as oppressed because they're not the ones in power, so then once they become in power, they then oppress those who are not them, right? And so we just have this flip-flop, flip-flop. But and nobody's going anywhere. There's no progress. Nobody's actually benefiting from anything. All we're doing is just starting over and over and over and over again. So hopefully we can see how that is not the ideal, right? We don't want to just have this dichotomy in our brain that I can only be oppressed or an oppressor. Okay, so that brings us into the second point. The second point is kind of interesting here too because it is... Not what we would think it is. Our, I think with our initial understanding of the oppressed and oppressor, it's very physical. It's very external. But when I read through this, the the next step, the way to break the cycle was not physical or, or like in the tangible world. It was more of a mindset shift. It was breaking free of the cycle. And you have to do that in your brain, in your mind, in your heart first before you can actually externalize it into the world and do good rather than just repeat the cycle. So here we go. Quote, Liberation is thus a childbirth and a painful one. The man or woman who emerges is a new person, viable only as the oppressor-oppressed contradiction is superseded by the humanization of all people. Or to put it another way, the solution of this contradiction is born in the labor which brings into the world this new being, no longer oppressor, no longer oppressed, but human in the process of achieving freedom. So I would like to note or, or, or point out really quick that if you're not familiar with humanism, uh, it's really basically just focusing that humans and humanity is is the ultimate goal. I find that they really just use all of the religious terminology and they just replace God with human. It's crazy because, I mean, you could really just take out a lot of these things and, and put God or Savior or anything like that because, I mean, it is really talking about all the same things. And maybe it's because... In Brazil, Catholicism 
has very much affected the social psyche, I would imagine. But I mean, the whole idea of being born again, being, you know, he even says, you know, childbirth, labor of pain, that is the same principle as being born again, right? Uh, the Christian term, maybe not to the same degree as you'd find in the evangelical community. But I mean, that's, uh, it's a very similar process or, or, or um, mindset, belief, whatever. So what they're saying is that it's not a dichotomy. Okay, so in our brains, we have we see ourselves as the oppressed, we see the oppressor, and we have this cycle where they see us as a thing, we we are dehumanized, vice versa, back and forth. Once we break free of that mindset, and we see that it is not black or white, one or the other, good side, bad side, but it's this journey, it's a timeline, it's a point that you're at, and you're journeying from point A to point B. Once you see that, your own mind can break free from that and say, well, I don't need to be the oppressed, and I don't need to be the oppressor. I'm a human being. I have my own innate dignity. I am valuable, and I'm worth it. So I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to work on the situation around me, and I'm going to work on all of these things because it's not black or white. It's this gray scale, and we're constantly pushing us forward, and that's, what, that's what's really important. I would like to point out one thing here as well. This is going to sound harsh, but it really sounds to me in the oppressed, because he does state that the oppressor cannot be the one who humanizes everyone. Like the, the salvation cannot come from the oppressor because their perspective does not allow them to humanize. They, they have, in order to maintain who they are and their identity, they have to then dehumanize to do that. So freedom and, and humanization has to come from the oppressed. And this break in mindset to me, when I was reading it, I was like, boy, that really sounds like just breaking the victim mindset, right? Everybody can jump on that. I get it. And there are bad things that happen, and there really are victims. And in these areas, and a lot of these areas where these really bad things are happening, they are victims. A lot of them are children, and that infuriates me to no end, right? But the victim mentality doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to more bondage, mental bondage into the cycle, right? So once you, if you feel victimized, you feel used, and you're going to see yourself as the oppressed and, and fall back into the cycle of oppressed and oppressor. It's when you break free of that victim mentality that you can see that it's not that, right? You're not a thing. You're a person, and you're on this journey to being free. Okay, getting into this last point. This one is a bit of a doozy. Point the third. Here we go. Quote, to present this radical demand for the objective transformation of reality to combat subjectivist Im immobility, which would divert the recognition of the oppression into patient waiting for oppression to disappear by itself, is not to dismiss the role of subjectivity in the struggle to change structures. On the contrary, one cannot conceive of objectivity without subjectivity. Neither can exist without the other, nor can they be dichotomized. The separation of objectivity from subjectivity, the denial of the latter when analyzing reality or acting upon it, is objectivism. On the other hand, the denial of objectivity in analysis or action resulting in subjectivism, which leads to solipistic positions, denies action itself by denying objective reality. Neither objectivism nor subjectivism, nor yet psychologism, is propounded here but rather subjectivity and objectivity in constant dialectical relationship. That was huge to me. Let's take 
the Black Lives Matter movement. There were, or there, I, I say were, I'm sure it's something that's still going on, but when it was really heated, there there seemed to be two sides. There were the people who were angry because they have this experience, these feelings, these emotions that have been built up and frustrated and angry, right? And so they were they were saying their piece. On the other side, there was, and I would say that would be the subjective, the subjective side, that emotional side, that feeling of frustration. That's subjective, right? That's what the people are feeling. There was a objective response to it. So what we had done is we had dichotomized it. We had said you're being emotional, so that's subjective. It doesn't matter. Or, or you know, then the objective side would say it's subjective, so it doesn't matter. But they're saying, these are my feelings, they do matter, they're real, and they're real to me. The objective side was saying, well, look at these statistics. We're only showing that out of 99.9999%, you have this white-on-black crime. You also see this black-on-black crime, or you see this cop shooting versus white versus black. All of these statistics, and the statistics were playing a role. And, and they were they told the story well, to be honest. Both sides did, actually. But what we had done we as in the society culture, is we had separated the subjective feelings, the sense of the people, and the objective, the statistics, the analysis, the results, all of those things. Those things can't be separated and pointed at each other. They have to go together. I'm a firm believer in human data, right? In that what people feel and experience is real. Even if it's not real to everybody in the world. It's real to them, and it therefore matters. And I find that most people are not singularities, meaning they don't have a single experience that does not apply. Like a lot of people have similar experiences. So I believe in human data. I do. So that subjective part is important. Even so, I mean, you have these feelings, and we saw that in the Black Lives Matter, there was a lot of people who felt that way. What we need in this process is for our feelings, and our objective analysis to come together, okay, and say, okay, we are all still feeling this way. The statistics are telling us this thing. What is the discrepancy? What are we doing? How do we make this better? Okay, how do we take these results, change this, and do that? You know, I mean, it, it sounds strange, but that's what we do in business. It really is. We take data and then we use that. We use that data to make changes in the world. And when you're in stuff like customer service or sales, you realize that it, the data is doesn't make a sale, okay? I can't take a graph and make a sale. I can't take a graph and get my employees to buy into my company. Well, what it can do is it can tell me something. It can give me indicators. Where are the pain points? Where are people really frustrated? And then we can go work there, Right. So if in the Black Lives Matter, if it was about the police, that's where their feelings were. We look at the analysis and then we say, OK, let's focus on some work there to where we're working on the feelings and the results. We're using the results to drive that perception, that belief, the all of that. Another good example, because as I was saying with the National Women's Day, I experience this a lot in the corporate world. Right. There's a lot of things about how women who are the same have the same qualifications aren't getting the same pay. Right. And so that is a feeling that many of the women in the corporate world have. And there's data that supports it. I don't know the data. I'm not going to say that it's right or wrong. So what you look at it as a business owner and what I believe probably my CEO is doing is saying, OK, well, are these women qualified the same as as the men? If they are, then you pay them the same and it's done. 
Okay, so the feelings are driving the business to look at the data, and then the data is driving them back into correct action that will result in fixing the feelings, right? Because once they feel respected and they have that sense, they will move forward, will progress, right? It doesn't have to be black or white. It's, it doesn't have to be a, a cycle, which has no progress. It can be an upward spiral or a downward spiral. And the use of data with subjective feelings come together, hopefully you're using that to make it an upward spiral. So data is driving positive feelings, positive feelings driving data, data driving feelings up and up and up and up. Now the reverse can also drive things down, right? So you can start getting into mob mentalities and all kinds of crazy stuff that really like the, the emotions can really outpace the data and the data becomes irrelevant. Okay. So those were my three points. So summing it up kind of one, the oppressed often become the oppressors because that is their model for humanity. That's what they believe. There's only those two things. Two, to break out of that cycle, you have to have a perspective switch that you're not oppressed or oppressor. You are a human on a journey towards freedom. Lastly, on your journey to freedom, you have to use both subjective data, which is your feelings, your perceptions, and objective data, which is analysis, data, information, cold, hard facts, right? If you are doing those things, I think you're going to come out on top. I really do. And that's kind of my life. Le- I mean, this whole thing is kind of a life lesson, but my life lesson is really a- around awareness. If you're aware of your situations, you'll be able to see that in the millions of scenarios that we live each day, we are both oppressed and oppressors in every every day especially in our modern American world. I go to work, I can view myself as the oppressed and have an oppressor because I have this big jerk of a boss who is mean to everybody. And then I can come home and I can be the jerk to my kids and my kids feel like they're oppressed and I'm the oppressor, uh, vice versa. Or, you know, we can all just be on a journey together and work on it together. I I try to take that with my kids. I'm not going to lie. I admit to them fully when I screw up. So it's, I hope that, you know, at one day, I'll be able to tell them, hey, I am not a perfect person, but I saw that I was this way and I tried to make a change and I've been on this journey from point A to point B to become better than I was. And I hope that they are able to respect that and I hope that they model that as well and they'll be able to invest in themselves to push them forward so that they are better than they were each day. All right, well... Hopefully that was interesting. Hopefully I didn't I didn't lose you somewhere along the line. Hopefully it, it was cohesive. I actually made an outline tonight. It literally has one, two, three life lesson using those old college skills. Anyway, I'm going to let you guys go. Stop chewing on your ear. Take this stuff. Apply it. If there's anything that you would like us to talk about or if you have questions, um, fire them at us. Let us know. Shoot us out on the on the Twitter feed. Uh, I'm very heavy into Instagram, lots of stories, see my girls running around driving me crazy, see me working on coffee, lots of reviewing of beverages on Instagram. AJ, I know, would love to get into some heated discussions on Twitter because Twitter is the platform of outrage. Facebook is basically been reduced to just me tagging my Instagram, which is terrible, I know, but we haven't really found our voice on Facebook yet. So we've just been wanting to keep content on there. Mainly we use it for orders. So that's that's what that's for, for ordering coffee, that is. Which, by the way, 
if you don't know, we are selling coffee in the state of Arizona. So if you hear this and you're like, boy, I could really use a good cup of coffee, you let me know. I'll get you one. Actually, I'll get you a bag of whole bean coffee for you to make yourself a delicious cup of coffee. That's how that works. So with that, I will say adieu. Break free of that back uh, cut. <laughs>